This scripture reading and the following address are part of the YouTube stream worship video by St Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, Victoria, Australia, on July 3rd, 2022. For more information, visit www.stpaulsboxhill.org.au. Chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favour with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were, the prophet, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Hephapha, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This is the word of the Lord. My address this morning is going to pick up um, a little bit later on that gospel reading, but primarily I'm going to um, focus a little bit on the story of Naaman this morning as we heard it in our Old Testament reading, reading at least. Welcome to you all on this very cold July morning. Um, one of the things I was trusting in as I came this morning was that the heating would be on in the church 
when we, when we entered. And thank you, Lord. Yes, it, it is on because it um, is rather cold. Every day in life, I guess, we make these sorts of trust statements or decisions on, in the everyday things we do. So when we talk about trust today, we can talk about it on, on, on what happens to us every day. I trust when I get in my car, it'll start when I need to go to work, etc. To those big things of life, and we heard uh, just in these recent days about the census figures in our country, which suggest that the number of people identifying as Christians in the world is continuing, well, in our part of the world at least, in Australia, is continuing to, to go down, isn't it? And the number of people who say that they have no um, belief at all is, is rising up and those two converging um, graph lines are, are starting to come together. Big decisions, big things of life. Who do I trust? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and I thank God that there are, you know, we can hold on to some things in our life which help us to be able to trust. In recent times, I've been listening to a BBC podcast series called Money, Money, Money. It's by a lady by the name of Rachel Botsman, who you mightn't have heard of, but she's described as an author a broadcaster, and a trust expert. A trust expert. And I was listening to this um, podcast at about five o'clock in the morning as I'm out in the garage, you know, doing some light weights and things, and I'm thinking, what, what is a trust expert? Hands up if you've heard of trust experts. They're relatively new to the field, it seems to me. Anyway, Rachel's position is that she's the first trust fellow at Oxford University's business school. Wow, that sounds pretty official, doesn't it? A trust expert. She's observed and researched what we trust and how we trust. And in these times, she's apparently well regarded as an expert on trust and technology and what this means for you know, our, our everyday living and particularly what it means in the business world. So who can I trust? Who do you trust in life? Do we need a trust expert to help us? Do we need to become trust experts? In this podcast, Rachel Botsman interviews many people from many different backgrounds and countries. I think the series Money, Money, Money is based on you know, the recent uh, phenomenon of cryptocurrency. And of course, when it comes to things like currency in this current financial uh, situation of, in the developed world at least, uh, it's very important to have trust in any currency. Cryptocurrency's gone down and look, um, any currency relies on the, the trust of the people for its worth. In the final episode of the series, she interviews someone who says what seems to me to be bleeding obvious. Um, the person says that money and things aren't the source of all happiness. The person interviewed says that money can buy us something which gives us a short-term hit, but once that short-term hit wears off, we start to chase the next hit, and it becomes a pretty vicious cycle of forever chasing this thing of our uh, selfish uh, selves um, that can never be satisfied. Certainly God said something about that a long time ago, through Timothy, for example, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So trusting in money, is that um, what it is about for us as society today, as we think about those big things of life? Who or what might we trust? Who or what do you trust by the way that you live your life? It's an important question, I think, for the whole of life, and especially when it comes to the big questions of life. Now, recently, Sue, my wife, has gone through this whole diagnosis of cancer, and those of you who have been in these very difficult um, places in life know what it is to, to try and wrestle with this question of who do I trust? In Sue's case, she had some differing opinions from so-called experts. We're very grateful for all of the wisdom that um, God brings to people in our medical spaces. We're more than grateful. We're very, very thankful indeed that things are proceeding well for Sue. But they're big questions and we're always walking through them in our lives each day. In our first reading today, in the first book of Kings, we hear the story of someone who's in a place of power himself, Naaman. He's a, he's, he comes to the prophet Elisha for in, and in need of healing himself from a terrible skin disease of leprosy. Naaman struggles to trust in the word of God, it seems, if, if we listen closely into uh, his story. He first of all trusts in what he expects to be the right outcomes, that sort of money, money, money thing almost, or the power, 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 if you like. He himself is a man of power. We're told he's won some great battles. He's probably accumulated great wealth. And he expects to deal with people of high importance to be healed of this disease. But he comes to people like the king of Israel who can't do anything and who rips his clothes in thinking, oh, I, I can't deliver. His trust is in the wrong place. There is no real power there. But do you hear where the power comes from for his ultimate healing? And it's not in the place that he expects, and maybe it's not in the place that we expect always either. So let's listen in to some of the characters who speak in this place, who speak indeed God's word to this man in this place. First of all, there is a young girl, a young girl captive from the land of Israel, who served Naaman's wife. Now, if there's anyone that, don't, that doesn't have money, 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 and power, 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 I think it resides in this young girl who says to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. The voice of God speaks in perhaps the most unexpected places sometimes. And as we heard, he, he hears this, he goes off to the king of Israel who tears his clothes. I can't do anything about it, now I'm in trouble, he thinks. And he sends him off to the prophet Elisha. And instead of this important prophet coming out, this doctor of, you know, whatever, theology and philosophy coming out and making a word, he sends out a messenger, just who's not even named, 
who then gives direction saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And I've just come back from Adelaide. It's going, it's like, go wash in the Torrens. And no one would do that, I can assure you. Seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be made clean. And Naaman's reaction, well, this isn't right. I can't trust in this word. I can't trust in the people that speak this word. I thought that for me, he would surely come out, this prophet, and stand and call on the name of his Lord, uh, the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. And he goes on to talk about the various rivers, etc. But again, God arms the most unexpected person with his word, his powerful word. And it's one of Naaman's servants who says, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So finally, finally Naaman goes down. He washes himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of God and his flesh is restored. Like the flesh of a young boy, he was made clean. It was truly restored. Finally, he's healed. Finally, he trusts. At the end of the day, not in his power, not in his wealth, not in his status, not in his own reason, but in this word that was said to him, this word of God. Then he returned to the man of God, we're told. He and all his company he came and stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Like we will do after we've heard the word of God, he makes a confession of faith. And I'm sure this one really came from his heart. Finally, in God and his word, he trusts. How about you? How about me? Well, you'd probably think, well, Pastor, we wouldn't be here today unless we trusted in God. And I actually think that's very, very true. But we, it's always a journey of struggle in our world, isn't it? When Jesus came among people, they too expected that the Messiah would be a strong earthly king who would physically build an earthly kingdom of power. But Jesus' kingdom is different. God's power is, in fact, made perfect in weakness, as the Apostle Paul knew so well and encouraged us to, to learn so well too. It's in the suffering servant on the cross that we meet the power of God in the sure forgiveness of sins and the gift for us of eternal life. This gift of faith, you know, the gift of faith in, at baptism, perhaps as we're baptised as just little children or whenever it is, that God makes this powerful promise to you and to me. And he calls us then to grow in it, to trust in him and to be his people with this gift, to take our gift of trust into the world. As we hear in Luke chapter 10 today, Jesus sends out his disciples like lambs among wolves. It doesn't sound like a very enticing invitation necessarily, does it? They don't have earthly power in that space, do they? In fact, Jesus tells them to leave their money, money, money at home. Take no purse for the journey. I am all that you need. And so with their trust in Jesus, the disciples go out into the world. 
and Jesus calls us to be in their boots. We too are prepared by God himself today whose promise is to grow us in our lives, to change us, so that when you know, we come to July 3 next year, we can expect to be different people because God is at work in us. And we can expect that God, when we walk out that door and walk with our trust and share it in our living, God will make a difference in and through us as well. I've been doing a lot of reading of recent times about um, trust evangelism, if you will. And I've got three books that I just want to share with you that I've been reading. Um, some of them um, you might be well familiar with as well. The first one is simply called Dwelling in the Word. It's a very small little book. Um, it's uh, a book that we've actually been practicing a little bit here at St. Paul's. It's called Dwelling in the Word, and it helps us to be people of trust in God's Word. And one of the things as we're in God's Word that this encourages us into is to listen to listen to God, but then to listen to one another, to listen to someone else who might share with us what they heard in God's Word. I think this is a very important gift that we have as people of faith, that we can listen someone else into trusting us with their thoughts. That's a very, very wonderful and rare gift in my experience on this earth. Attached and similar to that book is, is a book... Um, called How Change Comes to Your Church, How Change Comes to Your Church, and it's got some of the same authors um, who are, are people who are dwelling in the Word. I commend this one to you as well. And in this book, they also talk about listening to one another um, as we dwell in the Word through the gift of hospitality. And it seems to me that my experience of, of being a Lutheran Christian for about 60 years now is that Lutherans do hospitality really, really good. And I reckon you, you might be part of that scene. So as we are just going about our daily living, listening to one another and inviting people into our spaces and also being invited into their spaces for them to show us hospitality, this is, I think, something that we can take our trust space into as well. And the final book that I've been reading is, is a book called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. You know, no, none of us want... We all get a bit self-conscious about sharing our faith, don't we? And believe it or not, in this book, they also talk about, as one of the six gifts of evangelism, they say what, the fourth one is to listen. Develop the gift of attentive listening to the other. And this author suggests that the golden rule of evangelism is to evangelise in the same way that you might like to be evangelised. Not like those who knock on your door with something to shove down your throat. The author suggests unless your friend feels heard, they will struggle to listen to you. If you're not listening to your friend, they'll simply tune out. We have a gift to take into the world with our gift of faith. That's all I'm suggesting. But it's a big, wonderful gift that we have. All these gifts, I think, are things that we can learn. And we might sometimes feel like the humble servants of Naaman's story, the little girl, the unnamed servant. We might feel like those disciples sent out like lambs among wolves. But do you know what? The God in whom we trust is faithful and will bring change, change that brings life. So dear friends in Christ, who do you trust?